Well, John, how are you this week? Uh, I'm I am happy and and I'm continuing to breathe, which is what we can all do right now. Yeah, I always have a saying that um, if the air is going in out, you know, let me say that again: if the air is going in and out, then life can't be that bad. No, it's kind of like what what parents say when they have their second child, because the first child you're like always panicked: are they breathing? Are they breathing? Is everything okay? And the second time comes around, it's like if they're screaming, they're breathing. That's right. Crying is a good sign. It is. Which means I'm always in a very healthy place. Well, well, Scotty, let's 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 you know it, it's Valentine's today still here in sunny, perfect San Francisco. So I have to wish you a happy Valentine's Day, John. I can feel the uh, undying love coming across the airwaves, and uh, the same to you. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Valentine's Day is gone here, so I could say as the other half couple, I could I could actually say that you missed it and you're too late. No, no, there's never too it, one is never too late for adoration. That 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 is true. I will take your love at any time, John. Okay. I'll send you a bill. <laughs> so, uh, talking about life uh, not being too bad, um, do you remember that uh, maybe probably a couple of months ago now that the uh, Capelli, the makers of the developer tool Dash, um, mm-hmm. had all those issues and had to remove Dash from the Mac App Store? Mm-hmm. Uh, they uh, they posted this week um, a blog post saying that, uh, in fact, that had not affected their sales really in any way at all. Um, leaving the the Mac App Store, uh, which led um, also to another blog post this week from uh, the folks at Rogue Amoeba, who make things such as Audio Hijack Pro, which is what we use to record this podcast. Um, uh, They also have uh, another app that a lot of their apps for technical reasons can't be in the App Store because they don't follow certain App Store rules, but they do have... um, uh, an app in the app store I think I can't remember what it's called now uh, Piso I think it's called uh, and they wrote a sort of attached blog post as well saying that they have withdrawn that from the app store and they have not really seen any change in their sales either or any notable change now no one's claiming here that apps are better off uh, outside of the app store but there is sort of some anecdotal evidence, and it's not statistical in any way at all yet with the, the two apps we've seen, that at least for these two companies, not, not being in the App Store uh, has done them no harm at all. And uh, mm. we, we've had several high-profile apps leaving the App Store over the over the last couple of years. Um, Panic had Coda leave the App Store, and we know that Sketch left the App Store, uh, BB Edit left the App Store. Um, now, none of those people have reported on what that did to their their, their sales. But I just find this is uh, an interesting uh, state of affairs. Now, I, I think this would be very, very different, obviously, on iOS because they would have no sales if they left the App Store. So um, this is a situation that's unique to the Mac and, and not iOS. But, um, you yeah. I, I've just been thinking about this a little bit and, uh, you know, I sort of, I, I could be totally wrong here and this is just gut feeling. This has nothing to do with any statistics or anything I've read, but I, I'm going to make a guess that 
you know, a very large number, you know, maybe even as high as 90% or higher, uh, and again, just a guess, of people who buy Macs don't actually ever buy any other software to go on that Mac. Um, I would absolutely believe that. So, you know, that's, uh, so in apps, uh, Macs, uh, Apple sell however many million Macs every quarter, you know, we'd say maybe about 10% of those people will actually look to buy software. And the very act of looking to buy software um, requires some research. And so people are possibly finding um, the, the, you know, websites as opposed to using the Mac App Store or because maybe... App, uh, Mac apps are more expensive. You might be paying, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 bucks. People are going to do more research than just press buy. So they have end up at the website and buy direct. Uh, and so the fact is people maybe think in research and I don't, I don't want to sign this demeaning, but maybe app sales on the Mac are to a more educated user. And I mean, more educated in as in how you discover these things. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that that... It, it, when apps came out on phones, it really did change it. I mean, it, it, people were, were thinking about it in terms of I'm going to tap and download a song. I think it was it just was always a very different thing. And I think honestly that there is an entire generation of people that don't don't ever think about software as as an actual product. I mean, I think, you know, not to sound like a, you know a completely grumpy old man, but I think that there are, are people who remembered you know having purchased software and had printed manuals and whatnot, and it was something you put up on your shelf and when things went digital, you know, you, all that kind of accoutrement went away, but still there was this idea that this is something, a purchase of value, it's an investment, investment in learning how to use it and get the most out of it. And that, that was just a very, very different thing when things became very simple and, and single purpose. So I think that, you know, for among those people who still use the Macs for, for those type of, of either professional or ho true hobbyist thing, you know, that's a, it's a very different experience from somebody saying, you know, I'm either going to download the free stuff that I use of the whatever half dozen apps that everybody uses, the WhatsApp, the Facebook, the Instagrams, or the, you know, specialty, you know, entertainment or games things. Yeah, no, I, I totally, totally agree. And um, I, I think this uh, says, is what I mean, I've always maintained that if you want to possibly have a chance of making money as an independent developer uh, on a product developed you know by yourself or a small company then the mac is a far better target than than uh, ios um as you know you can charge higher prices i mean there is the issue that mac apps are more complicated to develop um but this sort of also shows that you d you're not dependent on the apple ecosystem to make that work you can in some ways bring your destiny into your own hands because it seems like your website and all your marketing own stuff makes far more difference on the Mac maybe than it does on iOS. Mm -hmm. uh, no, I was going to say that, well, now we have lots of evidence about this, you know, and, and, and you know, you, you, you talked about the, the, the article that, that uh, about Rogue Amoeba that was there. And then you also kind of sent me a link earlier about a, a Kickstarter for, for an app that started on the Mac, then moved to iOS and kind of trying to come back to the Mac. So it, it's, it's weird. It's like in some ways people have thought, oh, the Mac has disappeared. But you, you mentioned something key. It used to be that, you know, you were lucky if the total Mac sales in a quarter was, was close to a million, but now it's multiple millions. And with that scale, even if it's 10%, even if it's 5% of the people that are buying software, that's still an addressable market. But at that point, you know, the, the types of people who are going to buy it, if they are going to be looking on the website, there's no point in kind of giving the 30% Apple tax 
if 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 it's not going to help you, you know, if 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 if, if the, its presence on the app store is not giving you some qualitatively better 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 user experience, right? It's like you know, it's not. It's, if you're sophisticated enough to to think a little bit about what you want to buy, tapping on a link and 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 installing it from a disk image or whatever is is, is really not that great a leap beyond just a, a single tap in, in in the app store. So at that point, you know, if Apple is not earning their thirty percent, don't give it to them. And that seems to be the experience that people are having. No. No, I, I, I agree. Um, I mean, the Kickstarter you're talking about is uh, Project Phoenix, they've called it, which is about bringing Twitter back from the Mac. And um, it's been 10 years since that was released in 2007. Um, and uh, you know, they're quite honest about really this, this uh, product wasn't making enough money to sustain itself on, on the Mac um and therefore it's sort of fallen out of uh, a little bit out of out of development and needs needs major work uh now this is a product that i would say you know most people will be using twitter but the vast majority here we come again the vast majority of twitter use twitter through the website on whatever device they're using so only a very small number of twitter users uh use um apps twitter apps of any form and then the vast majority of those people who use Twitter apps are um, using them on mobile devices. So, you know, th- this isn't a case of an app where maybe you know the Mac is not necessarily the um, uh, the ideal market or or the place to make a big investment. However, there could be a market, and there may well be a market. And there were people who dearly love this app, and so uh, the folks behind uh, Twitter for Mac have said, okay, if, if that's the case, um, let's find out who those people are. Uh, let's set a Kickstarter going um, and try and um, uh, you know, raise enough money to do a major release of this application this year. So basically, they're taking the guessing out of, do does anybody want this product? And saying, um, okay, let's, let's try this. Now, I think, you know, there's a, there's a massive head start here because first of all it's updating a product that people have already fallen in love with people who used it loved it uh, equally it's coming from a group of developers and a company that have a history of shipping so it sort of takes some of the risk out of it to people like it's people look at the list of developers and they say these people have shipped software if i give them my 20 bucks 50 bucks 100 bucks 500 bucks whatever for this app um you know there's a good chance it's going to arrive it's not somebody that nobody nobody's ever heard of um, you know, if, if if just you know, my next door neighbour just put this up and said it, then I don't think the project would necessarily get backed because people, I think the people behind it in this case are are important. A bit like it was with Manton Reese's um, uh, Kickstarter a few a few weeks ago. I believe the the people behind Kickstarters often make the difference, especially when it's something you know, software is not a tan you know so tangible in what you're going to deliver. However, this kick, as we speak now, this Kickstarter has been up uh, for just over 24 hours, maybe slightly longer. It has already raised $27,823 as we speak. Um, their goal is $75,000. So they've set themselves a you know, a reasonable budget to produce um, an application. You know, recovering $75,000 in uh, $20 sales is a lot of sales. Um mm. So, you know, and I'm wondering, 
you know, is it just coincidence that we've had two Kickstarters in our community in the last couple of weeks um, that seem to be successful? And is this a way people are going to be developing software going forward? Or is it just because here are two bunches of people who this happens to work for and we shouldn't really look into um, uh, um, this as a, as a way of developing software going forward? But I have to say... Uh, the one thing about this is, you know, I'm always on about, you know, do some research, find out, you know, get something out really early, put up a uh, an interest page, try and guess if anybody cares about your product. Um, actually getting people to pay for its development in advance is a good way of finding out if anybody cares. <laughs> yeah, it's a very concrete way. So uh, there'll be links in the show notes. If you are a Twitterific for Mac, um, user uh then um or were uh, or want to be in the future and this interests you go go back the project and um let, let's we'll monitor this one and, and see how it goes but um yeah i think uh, it, it's going to be interesting just to see see what happens here again i think it's a little bit of an unfair advantage because this is a no you know icon factory a very very well known in our industry and um Craig Hockenbury or Jockenbury as we like to know him is uh, you know is, is a very well known um, name in our community so I'm not sure that the response to this and again this was a, a very early well loved app so I'm not sure the response to this can be used just to judge how all Mac apps would would um, would work on Kickstarter however it is a um, uh, an indication of maybe a direction forward in the future and of course they, they have other apps that they're offering is you know if you pledge this much you also get a license for this and if you pledge this much you also get a license for that so they have other things you know to give away in those goals which you know if you're a new developer you wouldn't necessarily have um but say it's interesting they've set a decent target seventy five thousand dollars is the minimum uh and their stretch goal i think of a hundred thousand and a hundred and twenty five thousand i think i've seen them doing so um cool there we go good luck to them i say absolutely i i think that i think you you hit on something it's like only only a company like them could do it and you think about it it's like it's not it is very reasonable i mean that's that's kind of you know what half a year software engineer salary or you know and and the assumption is is that they're you know they don't have to put an, an inordinate amount of time into it it's just kind of you know let us know it's worth the effort but i i i have a hard time thinking that any you know any brand new developer would be able to pull this off but it's nice to see that that people still care enough to to do it both the people that are you know the icon factory for doing it and the people who are supporting it so far for for saying yeah we care about enough about it so it almost reminds me of people like you know deciding that they want to uh you know subscribe to newspapers again that that craft matters yeah if anybody out there knows of any kickstarters for apps from people who are you know less famous in our industry shall we say um then please uh, send us a link at uh, feedback at iDeveloper.co um, because we'd just like to monitor them and track them and because and, I'm genuinely interested in if this is a way of uh, producing software going forward or whether this is just a, uh, a coincidence that uh, two people have done this recently within our industry. Uh, and, of course, actually, Manton uh, Reese's Kickstarter wasn't actually for the software. It was for him to write a book about the software, uh, but it was going to sort of in the background from the software. So that was an interesting approach as well. So you actually physically got it, all you were actually signing up for to guarantee was a book there, um, hoping the software would follow. But uh, uh, anyway, there we go. 
that's that's cool hmm. so what else has been on your mind scotty well i uh have been looking more into what i'm going to be doing with this side project stroke future direction stuff of mine that i've been speaking about for the last few weeks um if you remember uh last week i said that uh, all of the sort of like personal profiling i'd um suggested i really shouldn't be <laughs> an indie developer <laughs> um because of uh, you know the reasons went into last week so go back to last week's show 158 if you uh if you're interested in that but it was mainly through needing dedication to one thing for a long time to produce something really good and uh so this has just had me thinking and i've been going through a whole bunch of a bunch of ideas and, and, and thoughts and actually i i'm sort of now working my way through three ideas and trying to work out where to put um energy and effort because I don't really want to put uh, effort into three at once because that would uh, go against everything I've said in the past about focusing on things and, and getting on with them. Uh, so so one of the ideas I, I can't talk about because it's involving doing some partnership stuff with somebody else and so until I don't think it's fair to talk about that until the other people involved have um, uh, agreed that speaking about it is okay and all that sort of stuff or, or even if we're going to try it and do it and, and whatever else. So that could be left for another day. So uh, two two of the other things I've been up, we're actually about taking a step backwards, going, to, going back to things I've already done, but maybe not done well enough in the past um, and maybe didn't give a proper chance to in, in the past. Um, now, do you remember, it was probably two years ago, I said I was going to pick a 100-hour project and, and uh, see what I could develop in 100 hours? Mm-hmm. Okay, and I did a, a little app called uh, a web app called Reviewcast, which uh, basically was an aggregator for App Store reviews. Very tiny. Um, uh, I did spend the 100 hours and then didn't really do anything else with it. Uh, well, I've decided to go back to it, John, and give it another 100 hours. Wow. Um, uh, and the reason being, this is this is a quite a focused project project. It's not a project I'm going to have to dedicate many, many years to. Um, I'm not saying it won't need love for a while. It, it may go nowhere. I think with the the announcements for iOS 10.3 about um, being able to respond to reviews, I think people reading their reviews might become important to them again. Um, and so uh, I, I'm going to go back and look at that and see what I can do to it in 100 hours. And also then use it as a way of remember i said i wanted to one of the ideas behind looking at something wasn't necessarily that my first idea had to be um you know something that was good to make me a fortune or something i was going to live off but it needed to be something i could use to put into practice marketing and uh, user engagement and all those sort of things on so it ticks those boxes it's using it's a web app so it's not doing the same as what i'm doing for 40 hours a week uh as a mac developer uh so it's got uh, enough difference uh in there to uh hopefully keep me engaged as opposed to we had the conversation last week about you know doing 40 hours of swift and then you know doing another 20 30 hours a week of swift on a side project i i personally find hard i know some people just can't get enough developing the same thing but for me personally that's hard 
Um, so it ticks it ticks all those boxes. So um, that's uh, that's that's where I'm, I'm heading with that one. And so of course I get everything wrong straight away in my first week of doing this. Um, I get bogged down immediately in technology choices um, and start spending lots of time. Uh, in many many hours of my hundred hours, you know, first hundred, you know, uh, which I've reset, decided to just totally reset and say, okay, that was a mistake. You know, trying to work out which technology should I use? Should I use this? Should I use that? You know, I I have done web apps before, uh, but not for a while. So I decided I needed to, you know, do a refresh on on stuff. And so I started looking at the different technologies that were around, and instead of investing my time you know, into really working out how to take this project forward, I spent all my time uh, trying to decide, you know, which language to use, which framework to use, whatever else, when, you know, it it, it just didn't really matter, to be honest. <laughs> um, I, I got straight into the developer, not the business person's mode. If I'd been, if I was a non-developer, uh, I would have spent my first week on this project looking at how I was going to take this forward as a business, not how I would take this forward as code initially. Um, so I fell straight into the developer, not business person trap there. However, I eventually did decide that um, I was going to be a bit old school and uh, I'm going to develop this with Ruby on Rails and, and Ruby, which the original one was developed in. Now, I went back to the original's code and it was developed using a, a back-end service which um, doesn't exist in the form uh, that it did back then two years ago and its new form is sort of now enterprise pricing and is not, you know, uh, I think the plans start about $500 a month, which is not suitable for a side <laughs> no. project of... Um, is it this type so I, i'm going to have to redevelop around this anyway so uh, a lot of the code base is just going to go in the bin uh but uh so, so even though i'm going back to the same technology it's it is effectively a rewrite is this heroku or something else well again this uh i've been looking at heroku um i will probably initially deploy on heroku but heroku becomes pretty expensive to deploy on as soon as you have any any level of traffic on it which this isn't going to so i'm initially at least anyway um so it, it's the quick way of deploying but uh, yeah so it'll probably pop probably start on heroku and then uh, move on to own servers if it's if it's uh, carries on and survives Anyway, it's been at least two years since I last did Ruby because the web apps I've done since um, then have been done with JavaScript and um, things like Node.js and Meteor. So uh, I hadn't uh, done any Ruby and I was never really a Ruby expert. I think I'd learned, if I remember rightly, I'd learned Ruby to do this project last time. So uh, I wanted a... Um, uh, I could honestly not remember really anything about Ruby after two years of not writing it and only writing it for a little while. So I had to effectively relearn Ruby. And uh, so I found a, um, a video on YouTube uh, called Programming Ruby or Ruby Programming, Learning Ruby or something. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And it was a one hour crash course in Ruby. And it, I was really, um, it was a well-made video. It was well thought out. Um, and in one hour, I learned Ruby. And since then, I've started writing some code and I've not had to do anything that wasn't in that one hour of learning um, when it comes to the, the language itself. And uh, that's, it, it just it amazed me that as an, ex well, amazed is maybe the wrong word, but it just struck me as an experienced developer Okay, uh, 
when I was coming to learn a language, okay, the language is the language is almost. I'm not going to say irrelevant, but it, it's it's not a thing because you know the key to this product project for me is not how well I know Ruby as such, but it's going to be how well I learn the Rails framework. And just like as an iOS developer, it, it's not how much you know Objective C or how much you know Swift. It's how much you know UIKit or Cocoa or AppKit or Cocoa Touch. It's the understanding of the frameworks, um, and which is why you can switch from shift, uh, shift, Swift to <laughs> uh, it's the next language, um, Swift to Objective-C or Objective-C to Swift um, relatively painlessly because it's the frameworks that make the difference. Um, and, and so this whole do you know a language thing for developers is irrelevant because I think you can learn enough of a language to be effective with it in one hour. What do you think? I think that may be pushing it a little bit, but I definitely agree that that the 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 trick to, to being able to do things quickly is to do as little as possible, and that requires an, a deep understanding of the framework you're using. Right, and I think in the, in the case of, of of Ruby on Rails, that was very much the case. That you know, there's there's absolutely a right way to do it with the the minimum impedance, and then there's the the I'm going to you know try and 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 apply my understanding of other web based frameworks to it, and then and then go into a, a world of hurt. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not claiming you could learn UIKit or Cocoa in an hour, but I'm claiming you could learn no, Swift or Objective C in an hour. Sure, but the basis of any programming language, there are like five or six things that are are true in every language, you know. And, and a while loop is a while loop. Well, exactly. I, I, you know, when I sit down to learn a language, I'm saying, okay, does this language have classes? Does it have inheritance? Does it have structs? Does it, you know, what collections does it support? How do I do conditional branching? How do I do looping? It's the same questions almost for every language, and. You know, is an, you know, is, is, this is not for someone who's not done programming before, but as an experienced developer, um, you know, someone just sits down and go, here are those 10, 12, whatever it is, fundamentals. This is how you do them. Here's the gotchas behind them. This is what you need to understand. Here's the, here's the, um, the way we tend to do it in this language. And uh, it's nice and concise, nice and pat, and, and bang. And I can honestly say that, yes, I've been having to look up things on the Rails framework and learn things this, but I, I, after watching this one-hour video, um, uh, other than referring back to some things in the video, I have not had to look up anything to do with Ruby as a language in order to do what I need to do so far. Now, I'm not saying there's not more to the Ruby language or, or any other language. There, there is, but you know, this was enough uh, to shift in. It's really highlighted, once again, for me, stuff that I've, I've said before, that you know, the language is not important. It's the frameworks to use that are important. Um, and and you know as an as an employer or someone who's looking to hire, you know we shouldn't get hung up on has this person done Swift before? Has this person done Objective C before? Has this person done Ruby before? It's you know what frameworks have they used and how close are they to the frameworks that we use because that's where the skill set is. Or put more simply, what have they actually shipped? Yeah. So anyway, this 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 uh, video. Um, this is the second part of my uh, of something I'm going to look into and do, and I've no idea how um, this works business wise. In fact, it probably won't. It might just be free. Uh, is I'm going to um, produce a Swift in one hour video. Wow! Uh, not it's going to take me more than an hour to produce it, but you know what I mean. Based on this, sure. uh, however, I'm not going to do this straight away. Uh, I am going to uh, do this in combination with. 
um, Swift 4 or whatever the Swift changes that come out next are. So it's um, it will be completely up to date and relevant at the point we um, we get that. Uh, so that means I'm not going to be focusing on the same time as I'm doing the initial focus on the ReviewCast uh, Ruby website. Um, and so then have a play with that and, and, and see. Uh, now, I know I've done this before and I've done video training before, uh, but they both actually fit my profile quite well as small, concise pieces of work that can be done and then handled. Uh, they're not hour-based, as in, you know, you do one hour, you bill one hour. Um, so that alongside, those two things alongside uh, this other thing, which I will eventually talk about, are where I'm going to sort of focus some side time during this year, one at a time, um, and, and learn some lessons. And, and hopefully, you know, by the end of this year, I'd have learned enough from it to to maybe push into something bigger, or one of these things may have developed into something bigger itself, which is the way it's going. So that's what I've been up to this week, John. That is very good. And I will register the, the fact that I will I will purchase this, this uh you know, Swift in one hour. As you were saying about, it, it's like, I'm going to use version four. It flashed to my mind that you could refer to, you know, that one as Swift BC for binary compatibility. And then eventually there'll be Swift AD, which is after the death of Objective-C. And I, yes. I would like to know, you know, what dates we can yeah. put to these two releases of the language. And then the third one could be Swift Armageddon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, there we are. So, John, I, I, it's been all about me this week. What's happened to you this week? Well, Scotty, gosh, you know, uh, now that we've had all this fluff, maybe I can get down and dirty with some 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 things I learned this week about uh, UI text field um, and right to left uh, layout and localization. Would you care to hear about this? Would any of our listeners do? Well, maybe, maybe not, but I'm going to ex- share my experience. So uh, uh, I've done a lot of work on, on learning how to, to, to do right to left layouts or RTLs, some people call it. Um, and uh, y- Typically, when you when you when you you do localization, you kind of listen to the device settings, right? So you know you know that you can go into the settings app and say what's your preferred language and 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 what's your preferred locale. And so for for a language and a loca- locale, it will you know for it will determine the layout, right? So if you say that I'm you know my language is Arabic and the locale is let's say Egypt, then all the 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 you know uh, keyboards will you know the 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 preferred language will flow from that and the the text writing direction will flow from that. But what happens if you want to basically allow uh, a, an application to have a different layout semantic from from what's set up for the device. In other words, let's say your device is set up to work in English, but you want your application to be able to, to lay out using a right-to-left text direction. Um, and it's possible to do it, but it, it has some caveats, some gotchas. And one of the gotchas I discovered uh, is with UI text field, which... Uh, oftentimes we'll have a placeholder, right? So, you know, you, you have a form or a search field and you want to give some example of what types of things you might type in. Type in. So if it's like a, a login panel, it might say email. And if the password field might say password before somebody actually starts typing in it. So if you set the semantic, you know, layout and the text writing direction to be, you know, text alignment to be right to left, you would kind of expect that your, your, 
placeholder text, if you set it, would follow from that. And it does if there's an agreement between you know the device locale and the and and the semantic that you're implying for it. But if you are fighting the framework, which is possible to do and, and painful sometimes, you will find that your text writing direction when you actually are, are entering text is is one direction, but the placeholder text may be in the wrong direction. So it looks very strange to have Arabic or Hebrew that's aligned left when the cursor is is you know on the right side of the of the text field. And so uh, this is something that had been bothering me for a while. And the, the problem is, is that um, there's an API in text field for setting the placeholder text, but there's no API, there's no public API for you to access the actual text label that's there. You know, which I, I guess makes sense because that's an implementation detail that you're not supposed to know about. But in this particular case, you know, were I able to 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 access it, you could you know basically set the 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 text alignment for that in the right direction uh, and and go happily upon your way. But you can't do that. So then I scratched my head, scratched my head, and then saw, oh well, there is a, a delicate method that you can override, which is uh, I forgot I, offhand. It's basically the 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 uh, rect for it basically it's a delegate that allows you to to you know, implement your own drawing of the text uh, in the in a rect that's passed for you. So it says basically you allow to 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 lay out the text for um, the the placeholder. And if you do that, then you have to kind of in and itself is not too terribly difficult. But some of the details become painful, right? So a placeholder text you may have noticed is that the text color is usually you know a couple of shades lighter right so let's say that you you set your text field to have black text the placeholder text will be some type of variant of gray now what the exact variant that apple chooses for you can't know um, and if you set it to be a color text the same thing they'll basically make it a couple of shades lighter um, and so you can't directly access that label so you can't get its text color um, and you, you know presumably it will be in the same font as as the the text it is as as for the the text that is actually being typed in. Um, so anyway, you know, y- y- when you have fun with attributed strings, it's certainly possible with an attributed string to set the color, the font, and of course the paragraph alignment. So you can basically within the right, you know, the, the rect matching the, the where the, the, the text should go, you can just say, hi, you know, align it in the right direction you want with the right color, um, with the right font. And uh, through the magic of key value coding, even though you can't access the there's no ivar for getting the placeholder label you can ask for value for key placeholder label dot text color for example um and so you can get it that way. So I felt kind of clever in, in having you know persevered enough to make it work right, um, but also kind of angry that I had to get to that level of minutia uh, to be able to do something that kind of ought to work. But it, it, it raises a problem that definitely exists on iOS that doesn't exist on Android because you know localization for 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 a Mac app is really something that's really done at the system level. It's it's like it's not really set up easily to be able to say this application is going to be set up to run with this locale and this writing direction and this other app will be something completely different you you definitely can get to the point where there's a mismatch between the two and if that's the case it can be really painful the reason i got kind of sensitized to this is a a colleague of mine (laughs) um uh, originally Syrian, now an American citizen, um, you know, who, who who basically showed me a bunch of applications that's very, 
very common in, in Arabic-speaking uh, parts of the world, to have the application set up the, at a system level to, to, let's say, run in English, but then you may want a certain application to run in Arabic, and you expect the text writing direction to be appropriate for it, and maybe another application that, that you know you don't care about it being in Arabic, you want that to work in, in English with a left-to-right direction, so this ability to, to make it work at the app level is, is, a, is a common desire, um, and it's possible to do. It's just tricky. But uh, yeah, that was my that was my week. Well, that's um, yeah. <laughs> having spent some time having to you know work heavily with text on a, an iOS project in the past, um, you know I, I just get you know te- text is a, uh, a, a a fine art and a black art sometimes on um, on iOS and on the Mac, and um, you know and I wasn't even dealing with internationalization. Um, so you know with the different languages and i think it's just you know there is it is pretty difficult and a lot of people um either don't want to or don't have the um you know the leeway or the budget or the uh, project time to sort of dig in and, and fix these problems um and 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 because there's, there's there's the view that you know english is the main language of almost everywhere um or if not english then um you know left to right languages uh, i suspect there are a lot of apps that really just don't work properly um as soon as you get into into other languages in fact i i, I would i would argue that they probably that you know a vast majority of apps that have text stuff probably don't work very well as soon as you go out of a um a left to right based language so it is good to hear john that your employers are allowing um you the scope and the time to do this research and become excellent at it thank you scotty well, I think with that, we might want to uh, reel this one in. I think that's a, a good idea, John. So if people want to um, suck you dry of knowledge on, um, on on text, on iOS, where should they contact you? Well, you can find me on the Twitters as Jembe. That's D-J-E-M-B-E, like the West African drum. And uh, if you want to uh, speak to me, I am uh, on Twitter as MacDevNet. Equally, you can speak to us both by sending uh, an email to feedback at iDeveloper.co, which um, will end up in both our inboxes where uh, one of us will reply to you with um, all gusto and flair and uh, repartee. (laughs) Indeed. I think. (laughs) Anyway, thank you very much for listening. And um, until next time, you take care.